eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Thursday, November 26th. It's Thanksgiving Day. And I know this is a strange Thanksgiving for so many of us. I want you all to know that Mark and I are so thankful for what you have helped us build in this community to be there for one another. We're here to try to help you through your financial life. But we know that we've become a little bit more than that. And we are so appreciative of your engagement with us, sending us your questions and listening every single day. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. And for today and tomorrow, we are going to air an interview that I conducted with my friend Dave Isay. He is the founder and president of StoryCorps, which is a nonprofit organization. You'll hear more about this organization over the course of the next two days. But I think the messaging, which is how we all become connected and bring ourselves together, is more important than ever. So here is the first part of our interview with Dave Isay of StoryCorps. Dave, for those of the people listening who didn't hear you uh, when you were on our program a couple of years ago, tell us what is StoryCorps? So StoryCorps is a very simple idea. It started a little bit more than 17 years ago. Um, We put a booth in Grand Central Terminal where you can bring anyone who you want to honor by listening to their story, a parent, a grandparent, a friend. You bring, say, your grandmother to this booth. Um, You're met by a facilitator who works for StoryCorps who brings you inside and you sit across from your grandmother for 40 minutes and you talk and listen. And before starting StoryCorps, I was, for decades, I was a radio documentary producer. And as you know, you know, the microphone gives you the license to talk about things you don't normally get to talk about um, and to ask questions you may not normally get to ask. So from the very beginning of StoryCorps, everybody thought of it as if I had 40 minutes left to live, what would I say to this person? What would I ask of this person who means so much to me? At the end of the 40 minutes in this booth, you get a copy and another stays with us and it goes to the Library of Congress. So your great, 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 great grandkids can get to know your grandmother through her voice and story. Um, it started out as kind of a crazy idea. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of traffic in that booth in Grand Central at the beginning, but uh, eventually it caught on and became very popular. And we're all over the country now. We have booths to travel, Airstream trailers to travel around. Um, or at least traveled around until the, until the pandemic hit. And we've had about 650,000 Americans record their stories with StoryCorps. So it's the largest collection of human voices ever gathered. And because of what gets talked about in the booth, uh, the kind of conversations people have are kind of collecting the wisdom of humanity. 
I'm wondering how you feel like, you know, now that you've been doing this for 17 years and six Peabody Awards later and a MacArthur Genius Fellowship later, what is it that you've learned in the process of listening to people tell their stories to one another rather than to an interviewer? In terms of the actual way that this is set up, that it's, you know, people talking to each other. The simple lesson I learned just about that interaction is that, you know, when I made, when I used to make radio, I thought that there was something like magical about the way that I did interviews that caused like incredible things to happen. And I realized like from the first day of StoryCorps, it had absolutely nothing to do with me because the grandson who was interviewing his grandfather was getting like equally beautiful tape out of the interview. So like anybody can do this was a lesson. That's like the small micro lesson, the big lesson of StoryCorps for me. Again, you know, this is kind of a massive effort. And you know, what we're doing, it's really just about human connection. You know, for 17 years, StoryCorps, which is just two microphones, you know, and two people talking to each other is like endlessly fascinating. And I wake up every morning still 17 years later, pounding into my cell phone, new ideas about, you know, because it's really just about what it means to be human. Great lessons of StoryCorps itself. And, you know, this comes from the facilitators who travel around recording stories um, with every kind of person in every kind of place you can imagine. You know, every facilitator who comes off, we've had hundreds of them serving StoryCorps. They call it bearing witness, being present for these interviews. Again, we're talking pre-COVID now. Every single one of them, if you ask them what's the lesson that they've learned, they give some version of the Anne Frank quote, you know, that people are basically good. If you touch StoryCorps, you can't help but be more hopeful. It, I think it encourages, you know, the best in us to remember that none of us are the worst things we've ever done. That brings us to an interesting part of the StoryCorps group of stories, which is a specific program that you had a brainstorm. What happens? Like, are you in the shower and you say, oh my God, I have an idea. I want to know how was one small step hatched in your brain? Because this was your baby, right? My job as you know, founder of the company is that I'm thinking about StoryCorps 24 hours a day. You know our CEO, Robin Sparkman, and you know it was a lead up to the election four years ago. I started texting with Robin. We started texting about the um, divides in the country and how bad they were getting. One of us said we need to do something about it, and I kind of dreamt up then because you know StoryCorps is kind of made of my DNA how to do this. So, you know, we've had hundreds of thousands of people interviewing grandparents or parents and, you know, sitting with loved ones. As we started to see the kind of culture of contempt in the country, instead of like disagreeing with our neighbors, we hate our neighbors. I'm pretty aware of the danger as, as a Jew um, of what happens when people are seen as less than human. If you think back to Nazi Germany, the Germans called Jews and, and other people they didn't like the Nazis called them untermensch and less than human. I think we all began to see this a while ago, and obviously it's kind of grown. So the question is, how do we deal with this idea that we hate each other? And is there a way to throw StoryCorps at that to deal with the problem? So four years ago, we started thinking about this idea, which became One Small Step, which is a new way of doing a StoryCorps interview. It's not doing an interview with a loved one. It's doing an interview with a stranger not about politics. It's someone across the political divide, someone who you otherwise may never have talked to. Um, not to talk about politics, but just to get to know that person as a human being. Everybody cries in StoryCorps interviews. It's a very feeling project, but there's a lot of data and science behind it. 
And our Hippocratic Oath as a public service nonprofit is we do no harm to people. So um, we've been testing for years this methodology now of what putting strangers together and seeing if we can do some good by getting them to know one another. We just started scaling it nationally because indeed it works. And uh, One Small Step is based on one of the most studied theories in the history of psychology called contact theory that says that under very specific um, circumstances, if you put people who are enemies together face to face for a human conversation, preferably one that's kind of visceral, that's emotional, under very specific circumstances, that feeling of that person being an enemy can melt away. Um, and that's what we're trying to do with, with One Small Step. We just started scaling like weeks ago. And the idea in the coming years is to convince the country it's our patriotic duty to see the humanity and people with whom we may disagree, which is a complete moonshot and a little bit insane. But given where we are in the country right now, we're going to take a very hard swing at it. And you have specific one small step cities. Now, what's that about? It's really important to do this locally, to start it locally. People are, are um, somewhat in polling less suspicious less hateful of their neighbors than they are of people across the divide in some unknown place across the country. You know, we had to start in a finite number of cities. So we picked four cities that we launched in last month, Wichita, Birmingham, Shreveport, and Richmond. Um, But anybody can do this anywhere across the country. Those are the cities where we're just doing polling and testing to see if we can actually change the culture of the city. If people can see the fact that others are doing this and, you know, it's kind of a public health campaign. It's not a perfect analogy, but smoking was once sexy and cool, and then it wasn't. And right now, treating each other terribly and with contempt, disrespect, screaming at each other, insulting each other is cool and sexy. We're going to see if in these cities we can, you know, make a shift and that it's not no longer as cool and sexy as it was, and that you know people feel more hopeful about the country and less fearful of people across the divides. I love listening to some of the one small step discussions between these two people because they don't start by talking about their differences. They talk about, tell me about yourself. That to me is so interesting. When you sort of describe contact theory, I'm reminded of there was that effort in the Middle East where you had Palestinian mothers and Israeli mothers who ostensibly sort of hated each other, all of whom got together because they lost a child because of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And they came together and they didn't talk about the conflict. They talked about what it felt like to lose a child. It seems to me that if we can talk about some of the things that do bring us together rather than split us apart, it's a good start. But some of these conversations do move into the areas of, you know, why I feel the way I do. Do you think that that's an important aspect of One Small Step, not to paint somebody who has an opposing view as some caricature of the other? First of all, we don't tell people what to talk about. We have ground rules so to make sure that people are safe. You know, there's no screaming. There's no talking on top of each other. You know, people do talk about politics sometimes. We encourage people just to talk about their lives. And, you know, it's called One Small Step for a reason. This is like not the answer to everything. But without some kind of a foundation of having some social capital between human beings and, you know, again, seeing that other person as a person, then the idea of being able to have a conversation about politics, it becomes in the realm of the possible, uh, not in the realm of the impossible. I mean, you know, no one has ever been screamed at, shouted at, sworn at into changing their mind. It's just never happened in the history of 
human interaction. After they get to know each other a little, little bit, they'll talk about politics. And, you know, it's weird. The, you know, the end of all of these interviews is kind of the same almost in every interview that I've heard. And, you know, the ending is basically like, so like, when are we going to talk next? And will you come over for dinner? Aww. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like, it's not a hall- hallmark thing, you know, but, but I do think that everything we see through StoryCorps is kind of hopeful. We need a little bit of hope, you know, especially now. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Tomorrow we'll air the second part of our interview with Dave Isay. And if you've got more questions about what is StoryCorps and what do they do, we'll have a link to that in our show notes. As always, we are here for you. So if some financial question does bubble up over this holiday weekend, feel free to send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Please be careful this weekend and wash your hands and wear your masks and maintain your physical distancing. Give a little gratitude, shout out, what are you grateful for? What are you thankful for? And try to do something nice for somebody today, tomorrow, every day. That's our mantra here. We'll talk to you tomorrow.